Finding Your Voice with Heather Hightower. Today's guest is Dr. De Niro from the UVA Voice Clinic. He is a laryngologist. Welcome, Dr. De Niro. Thank you for having me. We are coming to you live from the downtown mall in Charlottesville, Virginia, and we're at the Center for Vocal Study where we teach healthy vocal technique. We're here to usher out your authentic voice. So we're really thrilled to have um, a laryngologist with us. So first of all, tell us what is a laryngologist? So a laryngologist is an ear, nose, and throat doctor that specifically specializes in voice. They typically treat some other problems like swallowing and breathing, uh, but one of the key focuses of a laryngologist is trying to rehabilitate people with vocal problems. Are you treating a lot of singers or do you treat people of all walks of life? So it includes certainly a lot of singers, but there's teachers and professors and lawyers and anybody who uses their voice a lot. We have call center workers. I mean, things that you wouldn't typically think of, um, but that have a high vocal demand. And sure enough, they're, they're bound to have some injuries. Um, in the room with us, who is going to remain <laughs> silent for this recording, is your colleague, uh, who we're going to hear from on the next episode, Joanna Lott, who's a speech pathologist. But I wanted to acknowledge her because you guys work as a team. So bring us into the world of the UVA Voice Clinic and, yeah, paint the picture for us. Sure. So it's a really different type of doctor's visit than typically going to your primary care doctor um, and even an ear, nose, and throat doctor visit if they're not specifically trained in voice. Uh, now, we have an interdisciplinary clinic, which means that in the same visit that you're seeing myself or you're seeing a physician, you're also meeting a speech-language pathologist that has a specialty in voice. And so we, we both, at the same time, are interviewing the patient and uh, understanding the physical exam and the, uh, the examination of the voice, which I can talk a little bit about what that means. Um, and together and so we, we bring different perspectives uh, from a behavioral um, approach to uh, rehabilitating the voice and then uh, I bring a the medical and surgical uh, consideration of, of how your voice relates uh, to any kind of problem. I think where most people think doctor it, for the voice is we go back to our pitch perfect uh, oh my gosh, I have nodes, um, crisis moment of the movie Pitch Perfect, and everybody's horrified, and uh, we as singers know that's a problem, but there's a lot more to the voice and understanding and stewarding the voice uh, before we have to get to you. So talk to us about the voice as an instrument from your perspective. Sure, yeah, it's, it's a really complex instrument. And it has, uh, you know, a guitarist or uh, someone who plays a saxophone. Uh, they they have to keep the instrument in tune, and but that that is a very uh, understood set of uh, 
protocols that they have to do. They have to clean it, they have to get a new read, or they have to uh, change out the strings every once in a while. But for someone who's a singer, their instrument is inside their body. And we think of it as uh, your vocal cords or what produces your voice, uh, but there's such a, a bigger, broader understanding of what voice is uh, from the medical side of things. It's how your lungs are functioning. It's how relaxed all the muscles throughout your entire body, not just related to your throat. Um, and then it's it's the, the details of the vocal cords uh, as well. But your hydration and uh, a lot of um, different total body health aspects that relate to voice. And singers have to uh, have to keep that as, as part of the things that they're considering when they care for their voice. Um, it's not just, you know, warm-ups and cool-downs. It is a, a total body health approach to it. I love that you're saying that because we really preach that here, and there's a lot of education to be done around understanding this, which is why we're doing this podcast, because each element of caring for the body is like its own wormhole um, from the food to hy hydration to breath to exercising the instrument to like it's just it's so vast so the inspiration behind this was like I think everybody that I know that's kind of gone a certain period of time singing we're all actively invested in keeping our little machine running optimally um and most people don't see how much time and effort and energy goes into that side of just being able to show up to a rehearsal and produce a clean sound or be able to bounce back from getting sick and maintain your professional commitments. So I love that you bring that um, to the table. Um, there's so much to talk about. I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. But what I want to ask is, you mentioned before we began recording that you played piano. Do you mm -hmm. sing, Dr. De Niro? Oh, put on the <laughs> spot here. Um, so I, uh, I admire singing. I, I think it is uh, just beautiful what uh, some of my patients are able to do with their voices. Uh, I did sing um, a little bit in choir growing up, but I have not kept pace. And then, now you mentioned the term closet singer, and that's probably what how I would describe myself. Perfect. Like in the car, in the shower, that along yeah. with the TV, the radio. Yeah, totally love it. Do but, you have a favorite artist? Hmm. That, that it changes. Yes. I, almost on a on a weekly basis. What do you want singers to know? Or anybody who's in relationship with their voice? What do you want them to really know and understand about what you do and where you fit into the equation? Because I'm 37, and I saw you for the first time. I've, you were my first laryngologist that I've ever seen. And, and so that's a lot of time singing and investing in my voice and my life around music without ever meeting a laryngologist before. I think that what I'd like to share with singers in the audience is that we have a commitment to our total body health, but... You know, what, what does that mean? What is that on a daily basis? How does that translate to how singers should consider caring for their voice? Um, and that is, uh, that is it can be broken down into several things. You know, one is uh, hydration. And, you know, these are tips that I sort of 
have termed a vocal hygiene, mm-hmm. or how do you mm-hmm. how do you just like you brush your teeth every day? Um, these are the things that, as a singer, you're considering, and that's um, staying hydrated. Drinking. That's it's staying hydrated is so underrated. Like I'm just still surprised at how many people don't have a relationship with water. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely, and. You know that's that's one of the things. You know, I I often feel like I'm I'm not providing enough of a service to uh, some of our patients, and I can't tell them I'm, you you'll be better, uh, your voice will get better if you take care of it from a hydration standpoint. And it's actually and, we we invested in spring water here. Absolutely. Because good water is so is is so important. Like it has to be good water, not just bad tap water. It has to be good water. Yeah, no one wants to drink a ton of bad tap water. No, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, but no, the hydration, um, and it seems so simple, and it, it, you're right, it is underrated. Um, but if people actually make a commitment to drinking more water, and, uh, and, and the other thing I, I say is, you know, for every uh, caffeinated beverage that you have, you're subtracting one of your, your 12-ounce glasses yeah. or 8-ounce glasses of water. And so in the end, if you're having a pot of coffee uh, and then drinking a <laughs> gallon of water, you're probably net zero. And we need well, to consider this because a lot of us are addicted to coffee, too. I, I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about, Dr. De Niro. <laughs> um, what is your, let's, let's talk about this for a second. What is your recommended ratio of water? Because there's a lot of, there are a lot of differing opinions about this. Well, it's, it's hard to get too much water. Um, but I think uh, around 60 ounces of water a day uh, would be the minimum. Yeah. What body size are you talking about? Oh, so, yeah. Because, we, so, you know, yeah, it's petite it, it, women it, it, and, and tall men, different needs. Right, right, right. Um, and so, so I would say for a petite woman, you would start at 60. And then, oh. um, so that would be the minimum. And then going up from that, you know, for, for a large man, I think you'd have to be 80 to 100 ounces of water a day. Good thing we're selling thermoses now. <laughs> you know but, what? But it, it actually shocks thing. me that people yeah. don't have a water bottle on them all exactly. the time. Like I started doing that in high school because you just need water. And I like you bring it to your recitals, bring it to your lessons, you bring it just everywhere you go. Like it's just it has to be a part of your world. Right. And so the other thing that we talk about with patients when they come to see us is um, drinking or chugging a bunch of water at the beginning of the day isn't really hydrating because um, there's there it can be it can get you your water uh, intake um, but you're you're also just your body's going to see this volume of water and your kidneys are just going to get rid of it so you don't tend to hang on to that as much as you do the sipping the water throughout the day and so that ends, tends to be much more hydrating even if it's the same volume but across a longer period of time because your, your body won't just compensate by getting rid of the excess. What, in addition to water, what else are, do singers have to keep in mind? So another thing that we often talk about is acid reflux. Oh, so this is a, let's go there, whole, because yeah, th- yeah. this is a huge thing. I have struggled with it since losing my mother, actually, and I, I know part of it's emotional. I know when it started, I was eating too much comfort chocolate. Um, but it's like, this is a real thing. And the solutions are like, not good solutions yeah. that are being offered out there. Yeah, what absolutely. do you do? Yeah. Help no, us because is, this is this is a real professional hazard. 
It is. And so acid reflux, when, you know, people think of it as heartburn typically, um, but you don't necessarily need to have that heartburn to have a damaging acid come up into the back of the throat. And so some, there can be a situation where there's, there's silent reflux and you can have atypical symptoms of reflux that are throat clearing and cough and uh, fluctuations of hoarseness that just kind of show up after meals. Give us the things singers need to be cued in. You just listed a few, but if you have, like fill in the blank, if you have X, see a doctor for acid reflux. So chronic cough and throat clearing. Yeah. Shoot. I'm in it. Regurgitation. Um, so if you actually feel fluid coming up into the back of your throat, um, typically people report that when they're lying flat and gravity's not working against it anymore. Um, and uh, the feeling, you know, we call it globus sensation. And so that's that lump in your throat type of feeling that you always feel is, is there and maybe a little bit of difficulty swallowing associated with it. Um, that is very frequently due to, to acid reflux. And people don't know exactly what that is. Is it a nervous thing? Is it uh, something growing in their throat and Frequently, it's simply that the reflexes cause the swallowing tube to be tighter in that part. Anything else? I'd say, well, the hoarseness that we talked about, um, the you know fluctuating hoarseness, it's hoarse one day, not hoarse the other, um, and, and typically can be due to what the person may have eaten and how, how they uh, have uh, responded as far as making acid in their stomach. What do you recommend long-term? for healing acid reflux. So this is really, really controversial subject. subject. <laughs> and so, I, you know, um, as a doctor, we often are prescribing medications. I would not typically recommend medication any longer than is absolutely necessary. Sometimes we actually do need to go on something like a proton pump inhibitor. Uh, these, these medications block the acid production. But that's not, that's not all there is. And typically, when I put a patient on a medication like that, there's a reevaluation. And usually, the literature has shown that it takes about three months to heal after taking a medication like that. And then we reevaluate, and then we start pulling the patient off medication. Because long-term, there have been studies that show there can be dementia, there can be kidney failure that develops from these medications. Now the studies show that it's the high dose medications taken twice a day and taken for eight years is when they start to see the effects. So duration is a big component of that. So when I put a patient on, I'm hoping to get them off within three to six months. And that short duration is enough to heal and often the symptoms stay away once you take the medication away. Typically, I'll tell them about lifestyle interventions, less fatty foods, less spicy foods, uh, not as much caffeine, <sighs> alcohol, chocolate. <laughs> yeah. um, it's basically all the all really the enjoyable yeah, things. Yeah, just take the joy right on out. <laughs> but everything in moderation is what I say. So the water is in moderation, but you know, you try and get to that minimum. You have alcohol, you have chocolate, you have, you know, these fatty indulgent foods. Yeah, absolutely. Every once in a while. 
are great, but if, if we can get on a, on a healthier diet overall, the reflux is going to go away. What is happening physiologically when we go into either fight or flight mode or when any, anything that would relate to getting up on stage and then we have all sorts of uncomfortable things that happen, like everyone has their own version, sweaty palms, sick to their stomach, nervous stomach, dry mouth, sweating, like just go down the list of all the things that you see from your perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think you, you covered a good portion of <laughs> Or like right all there. of them all yeah. at once. Um, no, but um, uh, so what happens is uh, when we have this fight or flight uh, thing that happens in our, in our bodies and that the, what, what it is is, you know, we are nervous about whatever event is about to take place and it activates the sympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is really designed to protect us in times of, of danger or, or, you know, evolutionarily it was in, in combat or in uh, situations where you're having to fend off a bear from out in the woods or some situation like that. And the sympathetic nervous system, it, 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 it clamps down on the blood vessels and that's to, to decrease bleeding from an injury. Awesome. And so, so the blood vessels constrict. What that does is <laughs> it makes your palms cold and clammy. Uh-huh. And then it also allows you to sweat because you are, you are preparing for the run of your life in this fight or flight phenomenon. And so as you're preparing for that run of your life, you start to sweat. Your body's pre-cooling itself for, for a... Awesome. a a adventure mm-hmm. that's going to happen <laughs> as you're running from this bear. And in our case now, an adventure yeah. on display in front and, of the whole and, world. And similarly, um, this happens when we get in front of hundreds of people if we're at a concert. And right before that, our fight or flight system activates. And the sympathetic nervous system says, okay, if we're going to get injured up here, uh, we, had a, we have to you know, slow down the bleeding by constricting the blood vessels <laughs> and start sweating. And the yes. other thing is it shuts off digestion, which is kind of a curious awesome. thing. And so it shuts down digestion because it says, not important right now. We need to fight for our lives. And so as we sh- shut down digestion, it shuts down the parasympathetic nervous system. So these nervous systems are in parallel, but they're, they're sort of opposite each other. So there's this balance between them. As the sympathetic nervous system revs up and prepares for your battle, then the parasympathetic nervous system <laughs> is, is sort of uh, turned down. And what that does, and you mentioned it, is it causes you to be more dry in your mouth. And such a great feeling when that happens. <laughs> and so Which is why you need to have your water bottle on you. Exactly. <laughs> and that is really important as well. You, we were talking about having a water bottle always around, is the hydration can come internally from your body absorbing it, but it also can come from topical hydration. So having a drink of water, which covers the surface of the throat, also can provide hydration. And that's just the actual act of drinking the water and having it pass through your mouth down into the swallowing tube. Have uh-huh. you ever taken a voice lesson? I have. What, how old were you? I, you know, I took a voice lesson. Um, I was only a few years ago. Good. And how many did you take? I, I took a whole semester of, of yes. lessons. And do you know why? Yeah, I, I I took it so I could better understand what my patients are going. Through. I'm so yes, yeah, so perfect segue too. Let's talk about how we met a little bit. 
<laughs> without going into too much detail. Um, yes, yes, relating to your patients who are singers. Thank you for doing that. Um, well, I'm curious. What did you? What did you? What was? What did you learn? Well, uh, I learned it was it was okay to be a bad singer. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. beautiful. I, and and I, you know, because as I started out, I was, you know, I am, am not really well trained. I, I sang as an adolescent, and that was about the last time I sang. And then, you know, many years later, I won't say how many, uh, I, you know, going to a, a vocal lesson and learning that it's, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. As long as you're enjoying singing, that's all that matters. It's not, it, no one's, no one really needs to, is going to judge your singing. You know? Oh, listen, that your... can be a repeating because so many singers out there are just living in front of, they're living with their internal critics saying like, oh man, that's beautiful what you just said, that nobody's going to judge your singing. There's a whole group of people who would totally disagree with you. And I think it's so important to remember, yeah, like in the end, we're singing for ourselves. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So no, one, no one's going to judge your singing if you're singing for yourself. Yes. Um, the only person that can judge that is you. I think it's worth talking about when, like, injuries and singers, singers and injuries. What do you want singers to know? And what, yeah, what do you want singers to know and do? So, you know, I think one of the key messages that is that I would have for singers is that we don't want to just see people when they come to us broken. We want right. to see singers, we want to see people that have a high vocal demand before they have an injury um, so that we can help them develop these healthy habits, that we can educate them, that we can get them into therapy for proper voice use if they have uh, something that we're able to pick up on that could be a risk factor for, mm -hmm. for an mm -hmm. injury. And to so a preventative health or preventative vocal health is a is a big part of our message, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't know that we exist to begin with. So it's hard to get an, anything preventative. <laughs> well, thank you. But uh, but but the message that we're trying to get out is that there is a way to care for your voice and there is a way to protect it. And if we can get involved with people in the beginning of their careers as singers and get them on the right path, then hopefully we can help them avoid injury in the first place. But certainly when someone does have an injury, we would like to be part of the process of, of their recovery. And that's really where I think our team approach becomes critical is because, you know, I'm a surgeon, uh, I'm, a, I'm a doctor, I prescribe medicines, but there are so many other ways to help heal the voice. And so that's why I need a partner like Joanna Lott, our speech pathologist, who is a singer herself and is specifically trained in the singing voice. And there's so many things that she can do to help people heal themselves. And the body is, uh, does miraculous things to heal itself. It really and does. Thanks to our guest, Dr. James De Niro from the University of Virginia Voice Clinic, also known as the Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery Department. 
I'm your host, Heather Hightower, founder and owner of the Center for Vocal Study. Our producer is Emily Gaddick. Our theme song was written by me and was lovingly brought to life by singers Madeline Holly Sales, Stephanie Kowalczyk, Lori Durr, and Joanna Lott. Recorded by Bobby Reed. Finding Your Voice was produced at the Center for Vocal Study in Charlottesville, Virginia. Head to our website, centerforvocalstudy.com for more information on our private lessons, programs, and teachers. We work with both individuals and teams so that you can share your voice with freedom and ease. Wherever you are, you can find more episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Remember to subscribe, and if you're loving what you're hearing, please do leave us a review on iTunes. Every rating and review helps us reach more listeners.